Welcome to the Tapestry Podcast. My name is Chris Turner. Tapestry is the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. Joining me today is Ryan North, Executive Director of Tapestry. Hey, Chris. Hi, Ryan. So today we wanted to start talking about uh, understanding our kids' histories because adopted and foster care children are always coming from a hard place. So we wanted to kind of talk about those things today and in our next episode as well because it's really important that if we're going to connect with our children and show them that love and trust is how they're going to heal, we have to understand where they're coming from in the first place. So, Ryan, uh, let's talk about what we define as a hard place. Okay. Um, so this was was key in our understanding as parents uh, when we first adopted because um, we didn't really understand a lot of this. And I think like a lot of people came into uh, adoption with the thought that, you know, once our kids came home, that that was um, the genesis of, of their healing and just because um, we had changed their address and put and put them in our family, that um, that was just gonna that was gonna be enough in terms of a starting point for healing. The past is in the past, and now we're moving forward. And we learned pretty quickly that that was a that was a really really big mistake. So one of the the first things we encountered, uh, we were given a copy of the Connected Child, and in this in the book, uh, Dr. Purvis and Dr. Cross coined this phrase, "Children from hard places." And I, the first time I heard that phrase without reading the book or understanding what it was, I just thought that a hard place was a geographical identifier, right? <laughs> so I think we can all agree, well, um, an Eastern European orphanage or an African orphanage or you know something like that would geographically be a hard place for our, for our kids uh, because we've heard the stories of some of the treatment of the kids in those places. Right. But then when we read the book and, you know, went through the Empower to Connect class for the first time, we learned that a hard place, place was actually in quotes <laughs> because it, you couldn't point to it on a map. So, you know, I'd like to, if we can just kind of list what those, those six primary risk factors that create a, a hard place are, and then we can discuss each of them uh, a little bit more. But prenatal stress and harm, and then difficult labor or birth, early medical trauma, and then trauma neglect and abuse. That was a sobering list to encounter the first time I did because it helped me understand that a hard place could be my neighborhood. Mm. Uh, the potential for being from a hard place exists for everyone, but we certainly know that it is more prevalent in the adoption uh, population and even more so in the foster population because items five and six, uh, neglect and abuse, are the two biggest uh, reasons that children come into care in the foster care system. When my wife and I took the course and we went over this exact thing, what uh, jumped out at us was that uh, our oldest is our biological child, and uh, he has three of the six factors yeah. because he was born nine weeks early. And so we never, ever really thought about that before. And then we, we saw this list and we're like, wow, our bio kit has three of the six because yeah. he was born nine weeks early. So, you know, obviously there was some prenatal stress going on. There was a difficult birth, and yeah. he had very early medical trauma. Yep. So, and um, you know, he's a hockey player. For those and, of you who don't know the Turners, no, he's so, a hockey player. So, so he adds number four by choice: uh, <laughs> physical trauma. But no, no he doles some out voluntarily. <laughs> you know, that was really, really big for us to understand. You know, we got lots of folks um, who have kids in their families that did not receive really great prenatal care 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in terms of what we would traditionally think about, you know, regular doctor visits, all the prenatal vitamins, healthy diet choices, no cigarettes, no alcohol, you know, proper rest and sleep and exercise and all those things that we would typically think of as, as a woman taking care of herself uh, while she's pregnant. A lot of that uh, doesn't happen. And I think one of the things that we've come to understand over the years is this concept of developing empathy for people mm-hmm. because sympathy says, I'm sorry. Right. Empathy says, I, I'm choosing to understand what it's like to live in your shoes, right? That's, to me, that's sort of the, the elevator pitch on the difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm. But one of the things that's happened for us is that the first level is empathy for our children, and then the second level is empathy for their histories. And so just differentiate it this way. So empathy for our children is actually choosing to understand where they're at. Empathy for their histories is choosing to understand where they come from, which certainly informs where they're at. But it also then has another layer to that. But that's also having empathy for the people, um, their birth families, Mm -hmm. they're connected to. Because I think it's easy to judge people. I think it's easy to say that people could have done better. But if um, if that mom, when she's pregnant, is not getting proper nutrition because she can't afford it, then it's really hard to be judgmental about that and say she should have done better. You know, Maya Angelou said a lot of great things. One of my favorite quotes um, that I've ever read of hers is, do the best you can until you know better, and when you know better, do better. Right. And I think that um, there are people who, because of their situations in life, are doing the best that they can. Um, but it's it's not it's not what they need, and I think that we need to really really have a lot of empathy for for our kids and their stories because they, a lot of them do come from situations where people were doing the best they could. You know, if you can only afford to eat once a day, proper nutrition is not an option for you. Right. While we look at the the empathetic side, you know, people who do choose to to engage in, in chemical substance, whether that be drugs or alcohol. And again, that's hours of our life to discuss the complexities of all of that. And there, there are some things, right, you know, permanent and lasting effects because of substance abuse. We have to understand what that means and what that looks like, right? And over the years as a foster parent, we, um, we started making our list of questions to ask when they called us, uh, mm. whether that be for placements or uh, for respite. And one of the questions that we'd always ask was, um, was there any drug exposure in utero? Uh, because over the years, we'd had, you know, um, how, how the kids react and, and deal with um, different types of drugs that, that may have been used in utero. And um, there were just a couple of them that we'd encountered that if the, the, the child was drug exposed, we'd say, well, that, we, can't, we can't take that placement because that's going to put too much strain and stress on our family, um, you know, heroin exposure, for example, we we had a baby for a weekend who uh, his mom had used heroin heroin while she was pregnant, and um, he screamed, not cried, just screamed like red faced screamed until he literally passed out from exhaustion hmm. from screaming, and then he would sleep for just a little bit, and he would wake up and scream until he passed out from exhaustion, and that was the weekend for us. So understanding that that is that child's start in life has got to give you empathy for dealing with that child. Right. right? It's hard to have a child scream till he passes out, but realizing that it's because he's detoxing from chemical substance mm-hmm. um, does allow you to have a little bit of empathy uh, for that kid. So um, there's um, Tiffany Fields is a researcher, and they did some research on um, 
on birth moms, and, uh, on mothers and children, and then the transference of stress. And so um, what they did is the, the control group, they were like stre- moms who were experiencing a high level of stress, and they at six months of pregnancy, they uh, did some blood work and tested the cortisol levels. Uh, in their in their system, so cortisol, obviously the stress hormone, right? And right. so they tested that um, those levels. Four months later, um, baby went to term, and then when the baby was a month old, they ran some blood work and tested the cortisol levels in the child, and the child's stress levels matched that of mom's stress levels at six months mm. uh, of pregnancy. So all of that stuff transfers uh, from from birth mom. To, to the baby, right? So there's just a lot of stuff. And, and for a long time, people didn't understand the prenatal stuff. We were looking at the impacts of life on a child once they were born, but not really understanding the impacts on the child while they were still in utero. Right, because that was something that my wife and I, we had to understand as well, because, mm. and it, you know, in hindsight, it really makes sense, right? Because there's a obvious physical connection between a baby in utero and the, and the mother. Yes. And, but we never think about the other connections, the, I guess the non-physical, or just the way things transfer via the physical connection to, yeah, to the baby. You have to think of, uh, when you said that, I was thinking that like the umbilical cord is like the original USB right. cord. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just tra- it just, it, everything's transferred. Everything. It's, not just, it's, yeah. not just, it's not just a lifeline. I mean, everything that comes along with that gets transferred to the child. We have two adopted boys, and when we adopted the older of the two, uh, we were with birth mom for a week. It was here in the United States. I can't say she got the best prenatal care, yeah. but she got some prenatal care. Mm-hmm. Um, she was low income, but not starving. But she was under a lot of stress. You could just tell she was under a lot of stress. And finding this information out and kind of understanding it definitely helped us with the empathy for our child yeah. because he obviously went through a lot in utero that we had no idea of. Yeah, and that's why understanding um, our kids' histories is so important because once we grasp what these risk factors are, what makes a hard place, and understand the, our kids' experiences and how they how they arrived in the world, even even if it's a um, we meet our child moments after they're born, or if we meet our child ten years after they're born, right? We we know people, or we meet children who are 15, 15 years after they're born. There's a lot of history that goes there, and once we understand how much that history impacts our kids. The only response we have is empathy, mm-hmm. but the only response we have is empathy. You know, number two on the list is difficult labor or birth. I don't really know. I mean, I don't know of anything other than difficult labor or birth, <laughs> right? I mean, natural childbirth. Um, you know, that's 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 a lot of stress on mom's body mm. while we're doing that. Um, I don't know what the percentage of um, epidurals administered during delivery. Um, what that percentage is, I imagine that it's pretty high. So, well, at least in, in a developed nation. Yeah, in a, in a, in a developed nation, right? So, um, there's a lot of um, chemicals in in mom's body, and it's a really a lot of stress on their body to deliver the baby naturally. Uh, if there is a cesarean section, our, our kids arriving, making their arrival in the world, but through a surgical procedure. So, mm-hmm. so you know, there's a lot of of stress uh, that happens during labor and delivery and then when you compound that with with people that have like really difficult labor and delivery stories and you hear some stories about um, kids 
without going into into details or, or sharing anyone's story, that there have just been some their kids arrived in the world under really, really, really difficult circumstances. And I think sometimes because for people like me who go, well, childbirth is a, a stressful event on everybody involved, mom and child, that sometimes I have downplayed when there are additional stresses as mm-hmm. part of that process, how that has an additional impact on the kiddos. So um, to me, that to me, the, you know, number two, the, the difficult labor or birth was probably a lot easier for me to wrap my mind around, more so than number one, but then um, to understand it, on a, on, a, on a different level was a little bit uh, more difficult for me, shall I say. Uh, number three, then, is early medical trauma. You know, one of our daughters was born by cesarean section and then had a couple of surgeries as a tiny little baby. And I don't think that, you know, until we read this book, uh, understood the connected child understood the impact of that early medical trauma because my mindset was always, well, you know, she was just, Five days old when she had the had the surgery. How, how stressful is that? She doesn't have any of the um, any memory, any memory of that, right. any of the anxiety that goes there. Because I'm processing it as an adult, how I would be stressing out leading up to the surgery. But her body still stresses, as precise as we are and as gifted as surgeons are. That is still a trauma on the human body, having somebody cut into it. Right. Right. And so for surgery, you have to cut into it just to get a cut into it for the procedure. So, you know, that's certainly uh, for a lot of our kids. There are a lot of early medical procedures um, for our four adopted children. Three of them had early medical procedures. And so, you know, the the limited sample size um Statistically, 75% of adopted children have really no. But that, that's true in our house, right? So the, the stats in our family is 75% of our kids had, had medical procedures early on. Uh, our oldest um, biological daughter, um, she had real, real difficult entry into the world. Labor, without getting into too many details, but labor wasn't progressing. And then the doctors kind of got involved. And then all of a sudden, they're like, okay, this has got to happen now. And then there's a NICU team in the in right. the room with us. And I'm freaking out because this, this is my first childbirth experience. And all of a sudden, there's like a lot of medical people. And all of a sudden, it's not just like nurses standing holding my wife's hand and a doctor in there. Now there's like people with like surgical masks and and, and you know, surgical gowns and stuff on. And, uh, and so the doctor said, look, I know you want to cut the umbilical cord. That's just not going to happen right. tonight. Okay. And I said, okay. And it was really, 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 really quick. Um, uh, and he just like took her, handed her off to the NICU people. And they like they did a couple of things in there, and they was blowing oxygen up by her nose, and so um, it's not the whole you know mom and dad meet your new baby while she's crying. Right. It was like silent for like two minutes, and I just remember just like it's like you couldn't even hear people breathing. All you heard was that that hiss of the um, mm-hmm. of the equipment, yeah, you know, the, the oxygen, and then about two minutes in, somebody yells, "Okay, we're going," and they run out of the room pushing the cart mm-hmm. with her and I'm literally running I'm running down the hallway at the hospital chasing them to see where the NICU is right. uh, and following her and um, as we went down the hallway my mom my mother-in-law and, and a dear friend of ours the three of them were standing and talking just waiting and this is like you know one fifteen a.m. at this point now right and everybody wants to know the news of the baby is and 
and they were heading towards him. So I go, okay, cool, let's see the baby in passing. And they just like bust like a hard, you know, racing car driver, right, kind of drift through the corner and head down. And I'm yelling, that's your granddaughter, that's your granddaughter. <laughs> and, you know, we went to the NICU. I took a picture of her, of her an hour after that and took her to Kayla and said, hey, this is what your daughter looks like. Mm. And so knowing that, understanding that now, because she has some behaviors that, that you would associate with a hard place, but mm-hmm. not thinking about her difficult labor and delivery and early medical trauma and those kinds of things, I would have just done what people do, which is just a brat. Right. But now I understand why her behaviors are what they are and know how to kind of meet her uh, where she's at and meet her with her needs. You know, again, I'll, I've said this a lot. I'll say it a lot that understanding your child's history is just so key to raising them well because if you don't understand your child's history you make a bunch of assumptions about the behavior which is usually wrong Mm -hmm. and then you parent them from that wrong assumption so that's where we are Um, and then we have the um, trauma which can be like a single event, like uh, like abandonment, right? That's that's very traumatic Mm -hmm. or it could be a recurring event like, you know, a pattern of abuse so that's kind of where we talk about the trauma there and then neglect Neglect's a hard one, though, and, you know, when you when you look at how our kids respond who've been neglected, like, you know, kids that didn't have access to food on a regular basis, mm-hmm. uh, we've got some of that at our house, and food is a huge thing, and even after being home for nine years, five years, whatever the case may be, there's still a lot, and, and we have the yes jar, which I don't know if we've spoken about that, I think we spoke about that last time, uh, you know, they know that they just have to ask, and it's always a yes at our house. Uh, we still, you know, people stealing food, foods missing, finding wrappers under beds, in you know, and just all kinds of places uh, because that I, I don't know when I'm going to get food again mm-hmm. is coded in, and that is just really. I'm talking about a long time healing. There's there's a story I once heard. Sidney Poitier, the actor, was an Oprah, and he said, uh, you know, he grew up pretty poor. And uh, he and they were talking about his childhood, and uh, he said, Oprah, you know what I have with me now? And she said, what? He said, I have a candy bar in my suit jacket pocket. And she said, why? And he said, because food was not consistently available in my childhood. I never leave home without something to eat because I need to know that when I want something to eat, I can have something to eat. Now, guy's got like an Oscar <laughs> and a lot of money, but yep. still this memory of going without food is still very real to him and so he doesn't leave uh, home without it. And neglect is really, really a difficult one. I know for me, um, thinking about neglect, I think what I had to come to terms with was that uh, there's willful neglect and, I guess, unwillful neglect. In the the sense, intentional, not intentional. Right, yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, um, usually when I always thought about neglect, I thought of it from the intentional standpoint. Yeah. And then adopting a child that came from an orphanage, you learned mm-hmm. about the unintentional sure. neglect. Because there's so many babies and there's only so many caretakers. And, you know, there's only so many hands that can hold babies and take feet, you know, put food in mouths and, and that sort of thing. And that's where the, I think, the unintentional neglect com- yeah. comes in. Because, like you mentioned on an earlier podcast, you know, the Romanian orphanage is now quiet they were. Yeah. Um, that was that was our our son. You know the the, the nuns at the or, who ran the orphanage where he was uh, staying when we adopted him were afraid that he might be deaf because he never made a sound. Yeah, because he had learned early on that his cries were not going to get answered all the time, and and he just stopped. And it was really amazing how a week with us while we were still there in the country, 
he started coming out of his shell. Yeah, and I bet you cried, and Kelly cried the first time oh, he yeah. cried. The first time he cried, we we were whooping and hollering and <laughs> telling our friends he cried, he cried. And everyone's kind of, you know, if you don't understand, you know, the background, they're kind of like, why are you happy that your kid's crying? because yeah. <laughs> he's never done it before. So, uh, so yeah, that's neglect was one that I, made a big impact on us. Was we knew that he had been neglected, but it what had been an intentional neglect. It's easy to say that neglect was intentional, and because sometimes it is. But again, if I don't have money for food and I don't have access to food, right. then we don't eat. And you know, we can make all any kind of judgment on that we want, I guess. But there's certain realities in certain parts of the world that um, the best you're going to do is. You know, basically, what amounts to as much um, grits as you can fit in the palm of your hand mm-hmm. uh, is what people get to eat. So, um, I think that we, that's part of understanding our kids' history and then understanding having a lot of empathy for what they come from. And then the last one um, is is abuse, um, which people will think of um, a lot, particularly in the foster care system. But abuse is very real and. And uh, not only are those um, not only are, are those um, wounds real, but physical wounds take a lot longer to heal than they do to inflict. Mm-hmm. Breaking an arm takes a second. Healing an arm takes six weeks, or even just cutting yourself. Right, that just takes a second if you if you just bump your hand and then you break the skin and it bleeds. But that takes a long time to heal. There's a scab, and after the scab, there's a scar. And, you know, we were talking about this last night with our class that um, when we can see someone's physical special need, we have empathy for it and we accommodate it. But because we cannot see people's emotional special needs, we Mm -hmm. don't do the same. Right. So to tie that sort of back here to abuse, that those are physical wounds. And even when those physical wounds um, heal, the emotional consequences of that are still very, very real. And uh, much longer lasting. You know, have you ever been in a in a in a traumatic situation? Then when you found yourself in it again, you just felt your body tense up, and you just mm-hmm. well, you know, our kids have those memories, particularly those who were abused and neglected. We'd like to continue uh, talking about these risk factors and how we can parent children who hit upon them in our next episode. I'd like to thank Ryan for being on the podcast today. If you have a question that will fit into 140 characters, you may tweet it to us at tapestryibc and hashtag it podcast. If you require a bit more room, you can email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You may also find us on Facebook at tapestryibc. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 